Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, welcome to another edition of Helmets Off. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus considering the pandemic that has spread across the world, which uh, uh, I'm sure everyone is aware of. Uh, in fact, I'd like to find that person in the world who actually isn't aware of, of what's been going on. And of course, uh, we've had a few challenges as far as uh, our social distancing, about staying in place, I'm in Utah and we have progressively opened up the state of Utah. My regular um, job or occupation or profession is I'm a broadcaster and I have a a radio show that I do and I've actually been broadcasting my show from from my house. And so Madison, uh, my producer, asked me the question about what have you been doing through all of through all of this, and of course, there's it's it's been quite an upheaval in our country with this pandemic, the corona uh, the coronavirus, or uh, and then also we have uh, we've had a major earthquake in Utah that really shook me. It was it was kind of comical in some regards, if not terrifying in others. In that I was in my house, and I'm on the third floor of my house. And I'm in bed because it's early in the morning. And it woke me up out of bed. And and the bedroom's really shaking. And I'm like, at first, what's going on? And then you realize rather quickly it's an earthquake. Well, what do you do in an earthquake? Get out of a building. And for me, I was like, <laughs> I think I'm safer staying on top of all of this as opposed to running down three three flights of stairs to the basement with the potential of everything collapsing or falling on me. So I just said, hey, I'll just stay in bed, ride this thing out on my mattress and uh, and things will be good. So maybe that's kind of a, a general thing. We should all stay in bed and just ride this thing out on our mattress and let let kind of let it all fall out, crumble down and see what happens. It was, it was kind of interesting in that we were doing a radio show, and of course, the Utah Jazz were set to tip off against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And all of a sudden, it's Rudy Gobert is tested positive. The game stops, and quite frankly, the world stopped. It was really the, the catalyst that, that really shut the whole sports world down. And we were on the radio as it was happening. And, and you just start hearing 
well, they've now canceled NASCAR. They've now canceled the NBA. They've now canceled March Madness. They've now canceled uh, upcoming PGA Tour events. They've, the, the NBA basketball season, of course, is on hold. The NHL is on hold. They're not going to start Major League Baseball. And then this is across the world, all the different sports. And you're, you're sitting there realizing, wow, this, is, this has changed our world. And this is something that doesn't, doesn't happen very often. And, and uh, you know, people handle these things differently. And, and I can tell you how I've, I've certainly handled it. And, and there is some truth to just, you know, sitting on the right, sitting on the mattress and just writing this thing out and, and not panicking, not uh, getting, you know, over, overburdened by this or overwhelmed by it and trying to keep a sense of, hey, you've got to maintain your life as much as you possibly can. I mean, just the whole idea of like toilet paper, you know, people leaving and like panicked about toilet paper. And, and, I, and I almost got caught up in the rush of it. Like, oh my goodness, I've got to go out and get a lot of toilet paper. And I, and I realized that if I don't have toilet paper, am I going to cease to exist? Is my life going to be over? I mean, is this just going to be an absolute miserable, unbearable circumstance if I don't have toilet paper? And the answer is no. There's other options. There are a lot of other options. I have paper towels. I have a shower. I have a washcloth. You know, back in the olden days, they used to have cloth diapers. Like none of this disposable stuff. And, and they, they, the diaper got dirty and they washed the diaper. And so, so there's, always, there's always an option. There's always a choice. There's always a solution. And I think, I think that's one of the things that uh, has kind of been going through my mind as I've been going through all of this. And, it, and it's crazy. It's crazy in that when are sports going to happen again? When's it all going to start? When's it, and, and then when it does start, what does it look like? And where, where are things going to be when it, when it all starts? And I, I found this to be true. And I think people have recognized this through this pandemic. And that is that we love marble racing and we'll watch it. We won't necessarily watch everything that they put on television, namely like the horse competition or some of the other, other made for coronavirus uh, events that they've had. But what, what we do recognize is that, um, that sports are important in our world. They're important for our psyche. They're important for uh, an undercurrent in our culture, uh, a sense of, uh, you know, just, just that there's a community, that we have a sense of belonging, uh, that, it, that it does play into our, our welfare, and that we, en we enjoy and really value sports in our society, not as like the most important thing in the world, but it's something that, that keeps balance in our life. We like, you know, there's, there's the serious side and, and I have to work and I have to live and all that, but there's also the enjoyment side of life and, and having that balance in our life. And when, when our life stops, we, we tend to uh, kind of get caught up in, man, I'm, I'm going crazy in my house all the time. So sports is, sports is good. And, and it will come back and it will come back in its, in its full nature. I think one of the things that is good about what's happening is it gives us an opportunity to stop. 
man, it's, it's a great thing in your life to just pause and just look at your life and say, okay, let's evaluate where I am. Let's evaluate what's going on. Let's evaluate who I am, what I value, what's important, uh, how, how I manage challenging situations. We all know that it's, it's in these times that are tough. You know, you find out who you are. You find out what, what you're, you're made of. You find out what you value. You find out how you deal with things. And I can tell you from myself, just, just speaking from my own, my own experience with all of this, is I've really tried to create a sense of normalcy in, in all that I've done. I've been respectful of the laws and the, the requests from local and federal governments about you know, how, to, how to minimize the effect of, of this uh, issue. But I've also been able to social distance and not put myself in a, in a place where, where I was uh, coming in contact with other people, but I was able to find unique, unique ways to, to still live my life and still, uh, still you know, have a sense of balance and normalcy and not, not go crazy through all of this. I've had to work from home. Uh, I've had to spend a lot of time at home, uh, which, which is, hasn't been all bad. And, but I've just tried to utilize and rethink kind of how, how I do with my, my time at home. Uh, clearly there, there have been some recent events, uh, happen with some of this, this, this violence and vandalism and, and some of the things that have come out because of the, because of these, this police situation and, and, uh, and in Minneapolis, which is a terrible thing. And I, I really want to relate, this is how I feel about this. And I felt this way for a long time. And I had an experience, and I actually want to share it uh, on here with you because I, I think it's part of the solution. I was in China, and it was uh, just before the 2016 election. It was early in, like, maybe September, um, you know, early fall. And, of course, it's, it's kind of the final home stretch of, of the election coming up the 1st of November. So you know that all the daggers are out and both sides, the Clinton and the Trump campaigns are just throwing mud and slinging it and going about as low as they possibly can get. And it was disturbing to me. It was disturbing to me how, you know, regardless of your politics, but just to what level people stoop uh, for the process of whatever, gaining power in this country, being elected. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people are frustrated with, with a lot of things that are happening in our government. And, uh, and, and it just feels like we're so polarized and we're so opposite on so many things. And, and so it's, uh, it was troubling to me and it continues to be troubling because it still exists. There's not been a solution. There's not been a good solution. A lot of people talk about doing things and how we should be and how we think and all of this stuff. And, and even me, like, so I'm, I'm a white person and, and uh, you know, maybe I'm not even allowed to speak on this, which I think is silly. I think we all need to speak about it. But I, this, was, this was what came to me. So I was in, in China and I'd had a conversation with a gentleman named John Curtis, who at the time had been the mayor of Provo, Utah and was uh, later became elected 
as a congressman from Utah, and he's he currently serving in the U.S. U.S. Uh, Congress, and he had had had, had, had written this this op-ed that got national attention about our conversations and how our conversations needed to change and how so often our conversations in just in in general are so abrasive and offensive and that it was really starting with this change of this conversation and it was a very powerful um thought and that he had shared and uh and it just was so hearing him discuss this, and we had a conversation about it, and then listening to this election going on, I was in my hotel room, and I woke up early in the morning, and I just said, the solution is we have to stop trying to get people to, to buy into our side of the argument. Because when you sit down with people, and if you're sitting here trying to tell them that you're right and they're wrong, no one is going to listen to anyone. So two people sitting down, trying to convince the other person of their position, nothing happens. In fact, it just continues to get louder. You scream louder and no one's being heard on both sides of, of whatever, whatever this is. And I, I firmly believe that solution is just to stop, to stop the conversation and just put up you know, the truce flag and say, how can I help you? And I really believe this spirit of service and not, not being in it for yourself, not trying to convince someone of your politics or your position or anything, but just to say, we're all humans. We're all in this together. We're in the same world. Clearly we're affected by the same things. You've got pandemics, that have touched the entire world. So we're a world and we need to learn how to get along as a world. And I really believe that there's a majority of people, and when I say majority, it's not like half. I think it's most people would be willing to say, I'm, I'm just here to serve you. I'm just here to help you out. I'm here to, to find a way to make your life better. And there's nothing in it for me. I don't have an agenda. I'm not part of a group uh, other than I'm part of the human race. And when we have this attitude of service, and, and really it's an attitude of just having compassion and love for our fellow humans, and there's no, there's no, there's no color definition, there's no political boundary, there's no country boundary, there, it's boundless. And basically it says, you are a human being, and because of that, you have great worth and you have great value. And we need to recognize the value of all people. And I think the best way that we can possibly do this is how can I serve and how can I help you in your world be a better person? And I know in my life when I've had a willingness to go out, forget myself, and just help people, I've never felt bad, ever have I felt bad doing that. And I think the solution isn't, isn't hey, I'm going to listen to you because no one's listening right now. It's just saying, all right, I surrender. How can I help you? All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the NFL. What's it going to look like? Where's it going this year? And, and also uh, in the final segment, we're going to talk about 
what the impacts of college football were. All right, welcome back to Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we have a lot of content that we've shared through the years. And we've we've been sharing some of that or rebroadcasting some of it, which um, I can tell you I love to do this. I love to share what's underneath my head and and uh, I also love to, to talk with, with other people and guests and what's inside their head. It's always fascinating to find out who people really are when we take the mask off. Of course, in football, it's the, all the players look very different when, when their helmets are off. And I find it fascinating to find who they are behind all of it. And so uh, it's fun for me to kind of share my thoughts. And, and of course, uh, the NFL, uh, has kind of taken the position and they've they've had the luxury of taking the position of it's business as usual for us or or somewhat usual i i think the nfl draft was certainly uh unique i don't think it was one that was diminished by any means because of the uh the distance that was there and and doing it so virtually i think people had a great opportunity of looking into some of the homes or places where some of these coaches and general managers and teams were and you, you spend spend a lot of time going oh yeah okay Bill Belichick's house is okay and you know someone else's is maybe better I mean kind of the I, I guess um, you know pop culture part of our society would would look at the reality tv so-calledness of the NFL draft and we'd be enamored by kind of completely shallow things <laughs> like whose house looked better and and I'm guilty of it too I mean I did the same thing as like oh, okay this is kind of kind of interesting to to dial into some people's personal lives in, to some degree but it didn't it didn't change anything draft went as scheduled like it would normally go players were drafted you felt the emotion maybe some of the disappointment all of the the range of of uh drama that actually happens with the draft you just didn't have it in this grandiose type of environment where it was so visual and and how how big the the nfl draft has become and the kind of the spectacle that it is but it still happened and of course the nfl season uh still happens and and it you know it's like we're going to play the season as it's scheduled and i'm not shocked by this uh, in in any regard, and I can tell you when this whole thing started, this whole pandemic, I I I began to get concerned early on in how um, how quickly shutting down the world could have a massive economic impact on everything. And of course, people are you know going to argue it's like you, you just care about money, and that's all you care about. You don't care about lives and you don't care about safety and you don't care about the impact of what this could have on our our society regardless and well having a job i can guarantee you is probably top priority for most people in the world and it's not being inconsiderate of, of people's lives or minimizing that at all just living in this world is a risk i mean there's just there's just a risk uh i mean there's a, a million things you could die from and uh, and some of them are much more risky than than actually a virus. Uh, it's just it's it's unknown, and I think that's what scares a lot of people. Quite frankly, I don't know that we really even know now. I mean, this isn't something that happens every day. Uh, we don't have a a lot of practice in 
in managing it and handling it. And I think uh, there's going to be mistakes made no matter what. And I don't think anyone's to blame for that. But, you know, a lot of these sports are trying to figure out how to come back on board. And I think they're afraid that, like, if we come back too early and then it kind of kickstarts or, or reinvigorates this virus, then they look greedy. And they look like, you know, all they care about is just getting, getting things up. Well, I think you need to care. I do. I think you need to care about, about our psyche and about um, some sense of normalcy. And I, and I think uh, we want to, we want to, you know, we want our world to go on like it is. And so again, the NFL has been fortunate that it has, it has its schedule later. And so a lot of time, will elapse before the season actually actually gets underway. So so they've had that luxury, you know, basketball, baseball, hockey, not necessarily soccer, they just haven't had those that the privilege of having time. And they've had to make some drastic adjustments, which I don't know is is a bad thing either. But here here's the thing that um that I think people realize um right wrong or indifferent I'm not here to judge anything. I'm just here to observe and share my opinion. And that is people want football to happen. There's a, there's a large contingency in our country that is passionate about football. And they're passionate enough about it to assume some of the risk that may come by uh, opening up the season. Will it look like, like it normally does? Probably not in the beginning. Will it end up like that in the end? I mean, imagine the Super Bowl. Think about the Super Bowl, which is next February. And are they going to have a full stadium of people? I mean, the Super Bowl is an event. Just the, the week up to the Super Bowl, the, the game is, is something. But the, the spectacle of the Super Bowl is a, a dramatic phenomenon that draws people from all specters of, of our society, entertainers, you know, new, I mean, just every, every part, you know, every music, you know, who's going to, who's going to be the halftime show, the whole thing. And leading up to the Super Bowl and all the parties and all the pageantry, it's a big deal. And I'm sure that's kind of the NFL is looking at the eye of that at the, at the end of the day. Uh, what I think is the challenge is, you know, how do you get to that point? Do you have stands in the fans? Because you're you're talking, I believe it's about $5.5 billion that are lost in revenue from season tickets if no one's in the stands. Now, can the NFL absorb that for a year? Of course they can. Uh, is it something they're going to want to do long term? No. And And these things start impacting salary cap. How do you pay player? I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into into all this. I I just I kind of have this opinion. Why can't we just have like a mulligan? Like it's like everybody's under the same issue as far as money, finances, all this stuff. And can't we all just kind of say, okay, let's let's just have a let's pretend like life just stopped for everyone because it's not it's not just a business or a few businesses. It's just our whole entire world, and and so. So it's everyone. Everyone's kind of in the same situation. There just should be some kind of, I don't know, grace period, timeout period, 
nothing happened period. We have a do-over, a reset, a mulligan, any one of those words you want to use. I don't care, but maybe we, we should do that. Uh, and I'm talking from a financial perspective because everyone's like, well, you still have your mortgage. You still have this. You still have to pay for this, this, and this. And it just seems like maybe there should be some kind of reprieve there. Or in the future, how do we, how do we effectively put a plan in place to deal with this kind of event? Because it's unprecedented really in our modern world as far as how we handle this. And, and I think it would be a wise thing for people in the NFL and all these sports leagues to look into, okay, what happens if we have this pandemic and blah, 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 because we know it actually happened. It might, it, might, it might be a situation where we need to save more for a rainy day. And, and, and so I don't think those things are, are bad. But the NFL is going to go off. I'm just telling you, it's, it's going to happen. What it ultimately looks like, I, I don't know, but I guarantee you they're going to gear it towards more people in the stands as the season progresses to a point of having an absolute regular situation uh, for playoffs and for the Super Bowl. Now, the real question is, when does it start and what does it look like? And, and here, here's the thing. Most NFL teams today, like in the preseason, most of their players don't even play anymore. And, and they have all these off-season workouts, and these OTAs, and, and, and they're good. They're good if you're a young player, if you have a new coach, and there's a new system you're trying to, to learn. But if you're a veteran player, you, you don't need all of this work necessarily to get ready for a season. And with so many players not playing in today's games, and with the change of the game, it's not, it's not as physical. Uh, I mean, it's still physical, but but the rules have kind of changed a little bit to where it's, uh, it's not so demanding. The practice times and the schedules and the veracity of practice is, is minimal, especially in training camp. So there's, there's a period of getting players ready, and these players are all in great shape. They, they keep themselves, you know, it's, it's a far cry from the good old days where players went to training camp because they had an off-season job they went to training camp to get in shape. That's really what training camp was for. And now it really could be cut down dramatically. Teams know who they're going to keep and who they're going to cut other than maybe four or five guys. So getting players ready, which is a concern, a, a, an actual health concern, because you just you can't roll off the truck and just start a season. Uh, so so what, what needs to happen is you, there's, there's an acclimation process, a heat acclimation process, because there, there have been players who have died from heat, uh, you know, heat exposure. Uh, and, and so there's, there needs to be a process of getting guys ready for this. Then on top of that, there's, uh, you know, just the process of learning a new system. And if you're a new coach. But a lot of these players, you know, have been around and they can make uh, – adjustments will this impact the quality of play i think to some degree yeah it might will they have a full preseason possibly and maybe they'll change things up in the preseason with the lack of otas and just some of these players probably play more in the preseason than maybe they normally would have and i don't know that that's all bad i, I think it some some of these guys need that that ramp up time you get some of these young players you get a guy like i think of mitchell trubisky, trubisky with the bears where he didn't play a lot in the preseason, and he's a young player, and he needs to play. He needs reps. He needs game reps. So to have him play more actually might help the Chicago Bears. Maybe they, they recognize that. Maybe they don't. And, 
And the, the, again, the, the jury's still out whether he's a good player or not, but playing in the preseason and getting more reps is, is certainly something to help him out. But I guarantee you, NFL season will go off. Won't be the same. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's necessary for our psyche and, uh, <laughs> and economically, it, it's, just, it's, it's a, big, a big thing to swallow if it doesn't happen. All right, we're going to take another break, and uh, college football is next. We'll see what happens. There. All right, welcome back to Helmet Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. And, yes, of course, uh, we're in this pandemic, and who knows where we are in it. Uh, it just seems like uh, it's Groundhog Day and the same day is happening, although things are different. They're, uh, college football, for example, has allowed uh, players from certain sports back onto campuses as of now, and then – uh, some kind of voluntary workouts are starting here in, in a few weeks. And uh, that is probably the best sign if you're wondering about college football happening in the country. And it's tricky. College football is a tricky deal because you have these sec sections of the country and you've got sections like, let's just take the Pac-12. You've got California, which is on major lockdown, most populous state in the, in the nation. And, and they're, they're like, we're not doing anything and no one's going anywhere for some time. And then you have, you have part of the Pac-12, like in the state of Utah or maybe Arizona or Colorado, and they go, yeah, we're, we're a little, we're not quite as, you know, stringent. Um, they're continue to open up the, the activities you can do in the state of Utah. And, and it allows for people to congregate together in certain masses and to go about certain aspects of their life in a very public way, unlike California. So you have these different sections of the country still in, in the same conferences. And the question is, well, how, how, do, you, how do you all play together? And there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of debate about what that looks like. And, and then, then you have other parts of the country, like the southeastern part and the SEC, which is kind of the, the, you know, the heartbeat of college football. And, and, and those states are kind of more like Utah in the sense that, they're, that you know, Florida is very open and, and a lot of these other states. And so they're, they're kind of business as usual. And so you're competing nationally, try to make the playoffs, try to win a national championship. And you have one conference that everything is copacetic and everyone works well together. And then you have a conference that's in different regions of the country and it's different. You know, I mean, the big, the big 10 is, is a similar type of school. Maybe, maybe the, the big 12 is a little bit different. Atlantic coast has, you know, schools in very urban areas of the, of the country, but it also has places that are in the South. So, so it's an interesting dynamic. But one thing I think is a really good rule, or, or at least a good indicator for college football, and that is that in June, they've let players come back to school. Because I think one of the biggest question marks is can players get themselves physically ready to play? It's not a sport where you can just go, we roll off the truck and we go right to a game. Yeah, you could probably do that, but you're gonna have a higher incident of injury you're going to have a higher probability of people believing being ex, um, exposed to potential life-threatening situations, and it's really it's it's heat. A lot of a lot of and there have been a significant number of players 
in all levels of football who have had heat strokes and who've died from it. And it's a real thing. So getting people acclimated to the rigors of playing and it's, it's being in pads in hot weather and it's, it's being used to being out in the elements in the hotter climates where your body can regulate itself. And that just takes time. The thing about people climbing Mount Everest, you just don't go up to the top of the mountain right from day one. You go to altitude levels and go back down and go back up, go a little bit higher. And it's the same type of thing, just acclimating your body. And they, and it, and it's a, you know, they say they need about six weeks of really good training time just to have the season. So if, if that gets delayed and pushed back, and if it's pushed back more in a state like California, as opposed to a state like Utah in the Pac-12 conference, then, then the whole, because the whole body of, of the schools in the conference have to be on the same page, or you, you know, because you play each other. And then it, and it, so if you impact the start of the season, then it impacts your schedule and you have to change your schedule. So the Pac-12 has this gamut of contingencies. If we're able to start on time, then it's business as usual. Well, kind of as usual in that it's business that we're playing games. It's business not as having a lot of fans in the stands, which I don't think is all, all that bad for the Pac-12 because it's attendance and really that good anyways. I mean, you go to some of these, you know, like Cal or, you know, I've, I've seen Stanford, games at Stanford where, you know, it's 25,000 people, if that, 22,000 people in the stands. So, and they're half full as it is. So I don't, I don't know that, that that's necessarily a deal killer in the fan base watching Pac-12 games. Now there's some schools that have great attendance, uh, Oregon, Washington, Utah does, USC to some extent, uh, Arizona State, you know, maybe. But a lot of these schools, you know, the, the attendance to games is, is not all that great. So they have all these contingencies based on when they can actually start and get a ramp up time enough to get players ready for a season. But this, I think, more than pro professional football, will impact what happens uh, with college football. It'll impact it in the quality of play, where these players just haven't had as much time. And it may, may have an impact earlier on in the year than, than later. Uh, when, you, when you have, uh, if, if you go later in the year, so let's say you start in October, then you go to, they're only gonna play schools in their conference and you, you start playing. So, you, you know, right out of the gate, your first game is a conference game. And, it, and if you're not ready for it and you're kind of rusty or whatever, then you could lose some games early on that can have an impact on your ability to compete in the, cha in the conference championship, to maybe even go to the college playoffs uh, that later on in the year, had you had the right time and enough time you could have been ready for that game and it could have had a different outcome. So it will impact who wins. It'll impact quality of, of play. Uh, of course, the timing of play will, will be impacted. But, but right now, preliminarily, it's a good thing that they're letting these student athletes back on to these campuses. Now, the, the tough thing about college football, though, is you, you've, got, you've got some of these second tier sports that are supported by football and basketball and and a lot of schools are having challenges just keeping those programs viable 
uh, and they require that funding that you get from the other sports in order to just have teams. And, and, it, and this is going to be a, a challenging thing moving forward about how they can keep these, these programs or, I don't know, temporarily lose them and regain them later. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but, but there's going to be an impact. It may not be on every single university, but some of these group of five um, schools are going to have, they're going to have challenges uh, with, with money supporting all of their programs. All right, well, look, fascinating things are happening. Uh, the one thing I've learned in life is that the one consistence change, and you got to be able to roll with the punches. And this is a big change in our world, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a permanent one, but, but being able to be adaptive to change and not letting it get you down is, is a massive thing. And one final thought is go out and serve your neighbor, and we'll all be better off for it. All right. Uh, Helmets Off is now off. We want to thank you for joining us. And uh, we're powered by kslsports.com. You can find us on Twitter at the Helmets Off podcast or on Facebook at the Helmets Off show. Until then, we'll catch you soon.